the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, as we close out the week here on Abounding Grace, we have a final look at our message called A Christian's Calling and His Work, Part 2. Join us for Abounding Grace. You know, many of us have misconceptions about our workplace. Our ideas are misconstrued when it comes to our faith in Christ and how we are to live that faith out in the workplace. And we've been spending the last few days here on Abounding Grace looking at what the Apostle Paul had to say about it all in Colossians 3, verses 22 through chapter 4 and verse 1. A Christian's calling and his work is the title of our message. Part 2. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner as we close out the week on this Friday edition of Abounding Grace. What did Paul mean when he said he preached to the Corinthians in fear and trembling? Well, it wasn't because he was afraid of the Corinthians, and it wasn't because he was afraid of the philosophers who might be there to refute him, and he wasn't certainly afraid of the rulers who might persecute him for his preaching because Paul was afraid of no man. And he did not live to please any man. Paul's fear and trembling was in preaching that he might somehow or other misinterpret his Lord and, and the gospel he has called to preach. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say the right thing in a misleading way? What if unintentionally in presenting the gospel, I lead people to believe something that's not really true? That is the fear and trembling that any good preacher is going to fill. Whenever he gets into the pulpit, he's going to preach with fear that somehow or other he might misinterpret the Lord and misinterpret the gospel that he's called to preach. And that is how Paul is regarding his preaching. So then fear and trembling in our text is the fear and trembling of misrepresenting Christ and the gospel or just simply not doing it well. So when you sit down at your desk in your office or at school or when you're at home doing whatever you are assigned to do or when you are on a sales call, or when you're in the kitchen doing whatever chore you're responsible to do, if you're going to do it well, do it with fear and trembling, concerned you are not going to do it well. Not because you're scared of what someone may do to you if you burn the roast, or what your daddy is going to do if you get an F, unless, of course, you're a lazy good-for-nothing and you didn't study, or what your employer is going to do if you're not able to make that sale. You want to do well because you have a master in heaven that you work for. So you work hard at doing your homework, at carrying out your task at that project with fear and trembling because you don't want to do something that is not done well, even if it is menial 
and manual task. You are to do it in the same way and the same spirit as Paul preached the gospel. Preaching. That's pretty important. Preaching the gospel with fear and trembling because Paul didn't want to misrepresent it. You fry the eggs. You do the math problem. You do that assignment at work. Menial little things. Not that important. But you are to do it with fear and trembling. Because you have a master in heaven that you want to please. Then it says whatever an employee does for his employer... They are to do their work heartily. In other words, the Christian is always to do his work well with all his heart. He's always striving to do and be his best. He should always be industrious, always honest, always trustful, always reliable, always helpful, and always trustworthy. His word must be his bond. He is someone upon who you can always rely. He puts all he is and what he has into whatever task has been assigned to him, even if he doesn't get paid for it. So you young people at home or men, wives, whenever something is assigned to you, you work and you work at it heartily. Put your whole self into it as if you're going to get paid the big bucks for it at the end of the day, and you don't actually get one red cent, like mowing the lawn, guys, or painting the trim on the house. We must never do what we have been called to do half-heartedly. We must never invest just a half-effort and do just enough to get by. We as Christians, the called-out ones, are always going to do our best whether anyone is watching us or not. Then our text says that we are to do our work as for the Lord rather than for man, because it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Why does a Christian always put his best into whatever he does? He does it because he knows in doing so he is honoring and pleasing his Lord and Savior and doing God's will for his life. Everything we as Christians do in all of life is to be done as service unto the Lord Christ, rather than to receive the peace and rewards of man. He is the Lord and the Christ, King Jesus, our Master and our Redeemer, and everything we do, we do as service to him. And not just to receive praises and pats on the back. Not just to get higher salaries. And not just to get better grades. And nothing the Christian does is ever insignificant. When you get up tomorrow morning and you begin your day's work at home or in the office or at school. Remember that you are going there as a slave of the Lord Christ. We are not our own, beloved. We've been bought with a price, a very high price. Therefore, glorify Him in everything that you do with body and your mind. 
Show to the world that you are Christ's slave in all that you do. Then our text tells us that we are to work hard for our employees, knowing that from the Lord we will receive the reward of our inheritance. As you work diligently for your employer and for Christ, know for certain that you will receive the reward of the inheritance from Christ himself. Even if all you receive from your employer is abuse and ill treatment, or from your husband or your parents, you do have a master who will reward you graciously, generously, and eternally. Your earthly employer may not notice or appreciate or reward you for your hard work. But Jesus always notices it. And Jesus always appreciates it. And he will reward you for it far beyond what you deserve. Now please understand, I'm not telling you that you have to stay at a job where you're being mistreated or slighted in any way. But while you are there, you still do your work as unto the Lord to the very best of your ability without complaining to your co-workers. And as you do, you look then for better employment. And if God opens another door for you, even while you are employed in a decent job, but it presents better opportunities, pray about it, weigh the pros and cons, if it looks good, go for it. Don't be afraid of change, but be fair to your employer. And give him plenty of notice, even if he is a good for nothing, because you are representing Christ. The text also says that the employee should give in, keep in mind that he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And without partiality. So, you know, you now have two sides of the coin. It says, first of all, those of us who work for other people should work knowing that whatever those other people may or may not give us, the Lord will give us an abundant and glorious inheritance. But on the other hand, we who work for other people should keep in mind, he who does wrong or works less than his best, will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. The Christian knows that he is accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that someday he will stand before him on judgment day at the end of the world when he comes again. And that should be overrule and overruling and overriding consideration of all of our thinking and living and working and in all of our relationships that one day we are going to stand before Jesus Christ, the judge. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, work hard and be good or you're just going to be left behind. The emphasis is work hard and be good. Because you are going to stand before Jesus someday. So learn to work and think all of the time in terms of this ultimate judgment. And being before the exalted Christ. And the question of reward and punishment. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5 says. We must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. So then a Christian has two motives driving him as a worker and every other aspect of his life on this earth, actually. Two motives are driving him to work hard and to do his best when he is assigned any kind of work by any person with the authority to require that work. And both of those motives are found in 2 Corinthians 5. I actually never noticed this until the other day. But these two motives are both found in the same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 11 it says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And verse 14, The love of Christ constrains us. Now here Paul is talking as a Christian. And he says, There are two things that motivate me. The terror of the Lord and the love of Christ. What is he thinking about? He's thinking about his master at God's right hand, looking down upon him who never forgets or overlooks anything. He is remembering that our master will reward us richly and abundantly, whatever our position. And the judgment on disobedience is as certain as the reward for faithfulness. That's why he says, in the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The love of Christ constrains me because I know that God's judgment for my disobedience is just as certain as the reward for my faithfulness. However, in these rewards and punishments with regard to Christians, God gives us rewards beyond what we ever deserved. And he gives us punishments that are far less than we do deserve. And he even turns those punishments into fatherly chastisements for our good. To make us more like Christ. Paul concludes his exhortation to workers by saying that when Christ comes and he starts divvying out his rewards and punishments, he will do it without partiality. And he again is, of course, talking to Christians. In other words, Christ is no respecter of persons. He has no favorites or pets whom he lets off the hook. Here in Colossians 3, the statement, and that without partiality, is addressed to slaves. While in Ephesians 6, 9, it is addressed to masters. In other words, between Christian slaves and Christian masters, God arbitrates with impartial fairness. Let those two things motivate you in your work. The terror of the Lord and the love of Christ. Then in Colossians 4.1, there is one word to masters. It says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing too you have a master in heaven. But now notice what Ephesians 6.9 says to masters. That is, of course, people who have others work for them. And masters... Do the same things to them and give up the threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now, in that phrase in Ephesians 1, I want us to look at it for just a minute. Masters, do the same thing to your slaves that I have been telling your slaves to do for you. 
Employers are to do the same thing toward their employees, husbands toward their wives, parents toward their children, teachers toward their students, employers to their workers, that their wives and children and students and workers are to do to them. Everything Paul has been saying to the employees is totally applicable to the employers. Do the same thing means employers must behave in their relationship with their employees exactly as the employees are to behave in their relationship to their employers with fear and trembling so that you don't misrepresent Christ in the way that you treat people working for you. Not with eye service as men pleasers, with singleness of heart heartily, always doing your best with reference to them under the Lord, for it is the Lord whom you serve. And employers are to grant to their employees justice and fairness as defined by God in His Word, not as defined by man. It is not enough to treat your employees or the people working for you in a way that satisfies the conventional morality of society. Your treatment of those who work for you must always be acceptable with God. It should always be just and fair. And that involves the thought that in a sense an employer, a father, a parent, a teacher has a debt to his wife, child, student, and employee. What is it? I owe you fairness. I owe you justice because our common master in heaven has commanded that. That is the way I am to discharge this calling. The Old Testament has many laws governing management's treatment of labor. And if you are an employer or you have people working for you in any of these relationships, which most of you do, Make sure you obey every law in the Bible that says a master should obey in his treatment of those who work for him. So I suggest that you get a copy of R.J. Rustuni's Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1. Go through that book, fathers and parents and teachers and employers, and find out every one of the laws in that book that relates to you. And if you need help, I'll help you find it. It says, as someone for whom people work, and make sure you are obeying all those laws of God. But one of the obvious laws for employees that is generally disregarded and transgressed in our culture is the one that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt work, and do all shall labor, and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. Those of you who have people work for you, make sure that in their lives you're not stealing from them one moment of the Sabbath day. And whatever you give them to do always takes into consideration that on the Sabbath day, they may not work for you other than works of necessity. Whether you are a husband or a parent or a teacher or an employer. Let me give a word to you who are students and teachers. Tell your students not to do any homework on Sundays. You homeschoolers, this is for you as well. Don't give them tests on Mondays. 
Students, if you don't finish your homework by midnight on Saturday, don't do any more until after midnight on Sunday. And I know you can do it. You can maintain at least a B average if you don't do any homework on Sunday. And I know you can do it. And I wouldn't tell you anything that I would not do myself and that I didn't do myself, at least when I became a seminary student. I didn't, unfortunately, understand this biblical principle until then. And when I first bought my business, for 10 years, I did business on Sundays, and it was my third busiest day of the week. But when we decided it was God's command not to work on Sunday, nor have any of my employees work on the Sabbath, He greatly blessed us with enough business to make up and more for the income we lost being closed. So I know you can do it. And lastly, employers must bear in mind that they too have a master in heaven. They also are employed. They have someone they're answerable to, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Your disobedience in all this will be judged. Your obedience will be rewarded. You as a person for whom other people work, you who are in a position to give orders, are not only accountable to Christ as your employees, you are more accountable to Christ because to whom much is given, much is required. So then remember what I said when we began our exposition of these social relationships contained in these last chapters of Colossians. Nothing the Christian does is the same as that which is done by the non-Christian. You don't have the same perspective as they do. You don't have the same motives. Remember that what whether you are a wife or a husband or a parent or a child, an employer or an employee, in all the duties and chores and responsibilities you have in life, it is not man, but the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Remember that you were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not become the slaves of men. Do not become the slaves of anything. Find your calling and your place, your post, and work hard at it. Stand fast in it. And don't leave that post unless you have a very good reason that will hold up on Judgment Day. And lastly, be willing to put up with a lot, with overbearing and thankless people who you work for. Again, whether it's a husband, a parent, or an employer. Be Christ-like, who, while reviled, did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his stripes you and I are healed. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for calling us out of our sin into the life of your kingdom. We thank you for giving us the various callings that you have laid upon us in home and work and church and society. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been disobedient. Forgive us when we have been more concerned with pleasing men than pleasing you. Forgive us 
when we have ever done any assignment with half-heartedness. Forgive us when we have ever been tempted or seduced to leave our post because of threat or ease or dissatisfaction. Help us to understand that those are places and assignments that you have given us and that you cause everything about those assignments to work together for good to those who love you. We pray that you would help us to be godly, Christ-like workers for Christ's sake. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 